Today's episode is brought to you by Bruch. Bruch is an electric toothbrush that will change the way you think about brushing your teeth. With powerful sonic technology and ultra-gentle bristles, the Bruch redefines what it means to have super clean teeth. It's like that feeling when you just leave the dentist, a fresh, whole mouth clean every single day. Our listeners get 15% off their total purchase with code POD15, that's P-O-D-1-5. Follow the link in the show notes and enter the code POD15 to get your exclusive discount and upgrade your oral care routine. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the host of the Injured List podcast, Brian Scott. Hey everybody, this is Brian Scott, your host of the Interlist Podcast. Thanks once again for joining us. We have a great episode tonight with another great guest, Mr. Bill Hobson of Hobson Media Enterprises. Bill started as a beat writer for the Detroit Pistons during their bad boy era as a 17-year-old intern. So he's got some awesome stories to share, and we're going to plug his brain about media access and dealing with sports injuries. Now, Bill started uh, Hobson Media Enterprises after he had uh, received a communications degree from University of Michigan, worked uh, at several different TV and radio stations in Flint, one being WTAC Radio, another being WSMH Fox 66 TV. Well, his Hobson Media Enterprise company now kind of encompasses a bunch of different uh, aspects of media production, video production, but they also do some podcast uh, networking as well, and they have their own little podcast network where he has a Church Pew Sports uh, podcast, which is a podcast that gets um, guests who are pastors on the show and they talk about sports, which is really interesting. I've listened to several episodes and they're actually amazingly uh, insightful, um, some of the sports uh, discussions that he has with these pastors. And uh, Bill's going to talk to us uh, about some cool story and give us some cool stories and we're going to chat with him. And uh, for anybody interested in media, he's a great guy, a resource to look into. So check out his website. And when we come back, uh, we'll be chatting with Bill, who's currently on the road, um, about to head over to an LPGA uh, Pro-Am. So that sounds exciting. We'll, we'll ask him about that. All right, stick around. Be right back with Bill Hobson. This is the Injured List Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Are you interested in being a guest on the show? Or do you know someone who would make a good guest? Want Brian Scott to be on your show? If so, share the podcast with your friends. Or drop us a line and we will get back to you right away. Email us at theinjuredlist411 at gmail.com or visit our website at www.theinjuredlist.com. Now, live from the car, as he treks back home after a long road trip, taking care of business. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program, Bill Hobson. Bill, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for, for having me. And by the way, I was home for a brief amount of time. I'm now headed to my next destination to play in a, a pro-am for the LPGA tomorrow. So it's a, a nonstop road trip. Thanks for letting me do this from the car. Cause I, awesome. I, think I, I, I think I live in the car right now. I kind of wish I was with you on this road trip. That sounds like a lot of fun, man. Uh, I'm a golfer as well. Uh, a very, very amateur, unfortunately, but uh, I like to try and get out there in the links every now and then. So have fun with that. Yeah. Well, let me just tell you one quick note on that. 
Uh, it is very fun. I am spoiled. However, when I'm standing next to a young lady professional golfer who comes up to just under my chest level and she outdrives me by 40 yards every time, it's a very humbling experience. I think I'd be right there with you, so don't feel too bad. Don't feel too bad. <laughs> okay. So, uh, you know, I often bring guests on the podcast, and when people first see who the guest is, they often question why, because our podcast deals primarily with sports injuries. But one of the things that I found so intriguing with you, Bill, was your history of how you got into media, starting back in the days uh, when you were in Flint, Michigan, and you uh, graduated with a communications degree from the University of Michigan and found yourself in the locker room of the bad boy Detroit Pistons at a very young age, covering them as a beat reporter. Is that correct? Yeah, I was in high school. And because this, this has nothing to do with my ability or my talent, it has everything to do with my dad, who owned some car dealerships. Um, he had advertising agents that were always calling on him. And they always wanted to make sure that Mr. Hobson was happy with their representation of him and one of the things that he told them in order to make sure he was happy was to give me something to do in sports broadcasting so these agents start calling local radio stations i didn't know this then but now i know how it works and they were just looking for some station that would take an unpaid intern who was in high school and lo and behold this connection was made with a, a very prominent in the middle of mid-Michigan area, uh, legendary sportscaster, couldn't have been kinder. I was never paid a penny, but the first thing he says to me is, well, what do you want to do? And, of course, every kid says, I, you know, I want to be on the air. He said, I'll tell you what. He says, how about I get you a pass to cover the Detroit Pistons every home game? I can't pay you, but you'll be in the locker room with the bad boys. And they were just becoming the bad boys at that time. And so while my friends were doing things that high schoolers do in the evenings and weekends, I wasn't. I was covering games, and I'm standing there with Isaiah and Joe and Lambeer and in the other locker room with Larry Bird and Michael Jordan. I mean, it was, it was, it was a fantasy world for me. Um, in fact, you want to tie it into sports injuries, I'll, I'll give you a quick story. My first game ever, first game I ever covered. The Pistons were still playing at the Pontiac Silverdome. It was like the last couple of years they were going to be there. And I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what entrance to use. I'd never been to a game. So I went three hours early. I was there before most of the players, let alone anybody else. <laughs> and I, I wander into this entrance that says media and players because we used to park together and we used, would use the same entrance. That's changed now, but. I walk in, and to my right, I see the Pistons locker room, and I figure, well, I've got a pass. Let me go. I'm going to go look around a little bit. I walk in this locker room. I walk past the training room, which didn't have a window in it then, and uh, but just a training room on the door. I get about five steps past, and I'm tiptoeing around. I, I'm probably looking like I'm up to no good. I was just nervous. And all of a sudden, I hear, hey! What are you bleep, bleep, bleep doing? And I about wet my pants. And I turn around, and there's Rick Mahorn staring at me. <laughs> and he is just going off on me. He is trying to melt me, and it's working. I am, I'm a puddle of fear. I start 
like an auctioneer pacing, rattling off some string of excuses for why I'm there. I have a pass. I, I didn't know where to go. We don't know anybody over here. I'm just going super fast. And he starts laughing at me. And he says, don't move. Stay right there. And he goes back into the training room where Isaiah was getting some treatment for a hamstring injury. And he pulls him out in the hallway. And he says to Isaiah, talk to your boy here. This little white boy is walking around here like he's going to. Uh, like he's going to rip something off or whatever. Like he's afraid to get arrested, I think is what he said. <laughs> and that was, and Isaiah was nice to me, but he, he's like, just relax, man. Stand up straight. You look all right. Just do your thing. And, uh, that was my first ever game. And it, uh, it pulled two guys out of the training room and I was just scared to death. Well, that's a great story. And, uh, you know, it's funny because a lot of the information that I get to help uh, my podcast and to help bring information to my listeners and kind of give them the updates that they so desire. I rely on the media and, you know, I'm wondering what type of relationship, if any, did you have with the team staff, like the medical staff when you were trying to get, you know, injury updates and things like that uh, on the players. Changed over the years because sure did, when, yeah. I was, when I was first going there, nobody knew me. I didn't know anybody. And I remember, uh, let's, let's set a context here, because this is all before the Internet. Obviously, there's no social media. There's no phones. Right. There's no smartphones. There's right. no nothing. Right. You know? I don't even know. Did they, the even, did they even have HIPAA rules back then, like HIPAA laws? Oh, yeah, goodness, right? no. There was no such thing. <laughs> that was only until the lawyers started coming right, around yeah. and messed everything up. <laughs> so I, I remember getting a phone call um, at the radio station one afternoon from a, another, another radio station in Las Vegas. And the guy, his name was Marty. I'll always remember his name. And he said, I understand that you're covering the Pistons games, and I wonder if you'd like to make a couple extra dollars. Well, I wasn't making any dollars. <laughs> so here's what Marty wanted. Now, remember where Marty's from, right? He's from Vegas. I, I'm naive. I was completely clueless. All I knew was that I was about to be paid the incredible sum of $25 per game if every pregame I would call Marty from the courtside phone with two pieces of information. Number one, the names of the three officials working the game that night. And number two, the injury update before it went public. Okay. <laughs> now, let's. Let's all just take a moment here and try to think of what possible use that information would be to someone in Las Vegas. Yeah, if you would have asked me that at the, at the young, tender age of 17, I probably would have been uh, very in the Ooh. dark about it. But yeah. <laughs> now, yeah, now you know. Now I know. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, years later came the gambling scandal with Tim Donahue, the NBA official. When I was being asked these questions, I that thought never crossed my mind, but it has crossed my mind a lot since then. So, <laughs> uh, so when you're talking about trying to figure out who's injured and what they're dinged up with, and, uh, then you start talking to the trainers, or even more so, you start talking to some of the interns that worked for the scoring crew and the training crew. These are the guys who would actually talk to you because they were all also being dramatically underpaid. And so you would start saying to them, like, hey, Dave, is, uh, is Lambeer, is he going to play? Is his shoulder messed up? What's, you know, and you would get this information an hour before the game, which, as it turns out, I think was 
probably being used in the placing of some wagers. Um, but it's interesting about how all of the, the treatment and the physical therapy world has changed over the years. I, you know, I've covered the Red Wings and the Lions and the Tigers as well. And it used to be not that long ago. I mean, within 30 years ago, you would see some of these guys smoking before the game out, outside. Uh, <laughs> you would never see a weight room or a weight training session for a baseball player or a basketball player. That's right, yeah. But it's all come around because as the salaries have increased, the proper care and feeding of your physical attributes becomes, well, it's, it's, it's what pays your bills. Yeah. Uh, and so whereas spring training, training camps, all used to be, they all used to have a purpose. And that was to get you back in shape because you spent the whole year doing nothing. That's right. Now these guys report to training camp and they're ready to go. They don't need exhibition games. They want to just get going uh, because they're in shape. And that, that's a big difference over all the years. I mean, you go back, you know, probably even before your time in, in that league there. And there were, especially in like sports like football, I mean, or baseball too, back in the way back in the day, these guys were working full-time jobs outside the season. This wasn't even a yeah, full-time career. <laughs> yeah, and the other part of it was, uh, and I've talked with some of the old-timers about this, uh, just the travel uh, was so much different. If you're in baseball, if you spend any time in your leagues, then you can tell stories about being crammed onto a bus and driving eight hours between games with no stops, two to a seat, and it's the kind of seats that none of us can fit in. Versus now where it's a chartered flight, if not the team's own plane, you're staying in your own room, you're given meal money for goodness sakes. You're making eight mil a year and they give you $160 <laughs> a day for meal money. Yeah, which is more than most uh, people spend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you couldn't you could spend it all. And the smart guys live off of it and bank yeah. the rest of it. Uh, but the other part of that is the, um, the growth of the training staff and how an injury now, you know, uh, just you and I are talking a day after I think Kyrie Irvin uh, rolled his ankle real badly for the New Jersey Nets, and he's they're talking about him being out for a couple games, right? Yes, yeah. Fifteen years ago, he's done for the playoffs, um, probably depending on the severity of it, and and that's why things like Isaiah Thomas's Herculean effort to score 25 points in the third quarter against the Lakers on one foot after he rolled his ankle. That's why we still talk about it because there, there wasn't treatment. They would just say, look how tough that guy is. It's, it's, you know, it's unfathomable for him to be playing on one foot and hobbled all around. We have changed our definition of injury, of toughness, uh, of competitiveness, really, I think, based on what the medical world has been able to do to help with injuries. I mean, Alex Smith is a great example. The fact that he ever stepped on a football field again blows my mind. It's, it it blows. It still blows my mind. And I did a whole. I did like two epi, two full episodes just on him alone, man. I, I it. I mean, that's he's a that's a miracle of modern medicine for sure. I mean, that um, you know that, and you don't see that very often in sports. It's pretty rare. But but you know, another one that comes to my mind is the Bernard King in the playoffs with the Knicks basically right. hobbling on one leg. You know, you don't see that too much often <laughs> these days. Right. And, and then meanwhile, here we are, uh, I think 48 hours that she removed from 
a, a soccer player, uh, I believe for Denmark, literally dying on the pitch. He's dead. His teammates surrounded him, facing away from him in a circle to give him some privacy. And thankfully, technology now enables them to pull a card out, get the paddles out, shock him back to life. And before, before a few hours went by, he was communicating via Zoom with his teammates. And it just it, it's incredible to think that he had coded out, was dead on the field, yeah. uh, and brought back to life. So good time to be an athlete. You make a lot of money, and they take really good care of you. Excellent care of you. They have nothing to complain about in that department. And, um, you know, your story about the uh, being the intern and asked to do some of those things uh, to make a few extra bucks on the side reminds me of my how I got my start in, in uh, athletic training initially and then kind of tailored that into a physician assistant role. But I was working as a minor league uh, intern athletic trainer with the Rochester Red Wings back in 2001 uh, in, the, in the International League which at the time they were the affiliate for the Baltimore Orioles team. And I often tell this story to a lot of my close friends. My listeners may not have heard this before, but you know, I used to basically show up early. I'd get there like one o'clock in the afternoon. Some of the guys would start rolling in a few hours later and we'd start working on some of their pregame rehab stuff, their warm up stuff. Some guys would go do some conditioning and uh, it was their, their head athletic trainers last year in professional baseball. He was really just there to try and qualify for his major league baseball pension. He had been a major league, trainer for many, many years, recently got let go and some ownership and management changed in the organization he was with. So he was kind of just like, listen, I'm just here to kind of get my time in and, and I'm out the door. So you do whatever you want. Like this is your training room as much as it is mine. Just have at it. Whatever you want to do, just run it by me first and go do it. And so we had a player that got called up to the Orioles and the team was in Texas and he had asked some of the clubhouse guys to drive his car down to Camden Yards for him. But unfortunately, none of them could do it. So he approached me and I said, I'd love to. So I, then following day or that weekend, I drove his truck from Rochester, New York, down to Camden Yards, dropped it off, hopped on a plane that he paid for the ticket for me to fly home. And later that evening, I was home and thought nothing much of it. Well, I get a a, a letter in the mail or uh, he may have sent it to the clubhouse and they handed it to me a few few days or a few weeks later and it was a check for like $300 and had his name written on there. It was actually from his fiance um, and it just had a, a sum of money with nothing in the dictation note or anything like that. Fast forward several years later, this particular player was actually mentioned in the Mitchell report and I said, oh no, what is about to happen here? I, I'm like yeah. looking out my window expecting uh, uh, the DEA or the FBI to roll up and knocking on my door. <laughs> um, turned out he was just named for other reasons. I guess he just had some connections. I don't think he ever actually partook in any of the steroid usage, but um, I still have a, a framed copy of that check with my autographed shirt from uh, my, my days spent in the training room there. So, but uh, you know, that's right. a lot of how a lot of us got our start. Um, for me, the professional route didn't work out so well, but I still am very involved in athletics and working with athletes and athletic teams. So I just thought it was funny. It's a similar kind and of story. One of the, yeah, I'm glad you said that because one of the, the things that I am frequently telling young people who ask me, how do I get started in broadcasting? And I'll ask them, well, what is it you want to do? And everybody wants to be the voice of their favorite team. You know, oh, I want to, I want to be the voice of the Lions. I want to be the voice of the Wolverines. Well, Okay, that, that job's not currently open. So 
what are you willing to do? And the same thing would apply to those with a, a passion for physical training, physical therapy, and medicine. What is it you're willing to do? And if the answer is, you know what, I, I just want to get my foot in the door. I'll do whatever it takes. Then you have a chance. If your answer is, well, I, I, think, um, I think I'm better than the guy I watch every night on TV, so I should just get his job. Well, then let's stop talking because you're wasting my time. Uh, there are steps to take. There are, uh, there are some prices to be paid. You know what? I, yeah, I wasn't paid anything while I interned, and I wouldn't have dreamed of asking for it or laughably demanding it. I was living a dream at that time. I was also a fan. I, I, uh, so I'm very thankful for the kindness of other people who helped open up some doors uh, that now today, would I want to do a lot of unpaid gigs? No, not really. But, but this is, this is 30, uh, 36 years later. And I, I shouldn't still be in the unpaid intern mindset or my family's not going to eat very well. I, I, um, I totally agree. Uh, and, you know, I, I feel the same way. I mean, I had a great opportunity to jump right into the AAA level with uh, working alongside a professional who had been in the major leagues for well over 20 years. And to le I learned a tremendous amount about sports medicine from him. I was able to get a lot of great hands-on experience. I met a lot of great players who treated me really well. I had a great experience. I just took it. I soaked it all in, took it all in because I knew I may never get back there. And in fact, I didn't. Um, you know, there are, yep. there are guys, there are trainers who work in that, in the minor league system for, for years and never even get to AAA, let alone the bigs. And I, I knew that going in, but you know, I, I savored the moment. I absorbed as much as I could and I, I just enjoyed it. And I, like, like you, I never even thought about asking for money. The fact that I was allowed to hang out in the dugout, chew on some seeds and drink some power aids while watching the game from the comfort of the dugout with next to the players was, was all I needed. <laughs> well, I, I remember I'm in, uh, I'm in school at University of Michigan. I've been in broadcasting at that point for a handful of years and had gotten pretty proficient at using various pieces of equipment and interviewing and things like that. But I still had to take, you know, um, Media 101 or whatever the class was because it was part of the program for a broadcasting degree. So I'm in a class where they're teaching us things that I've, I just knew it was a waste of my time, right? But I had to take it. Um, so we get an assignment one day from the professor, and she says, uh, I want you all to go and interview somebody. does not matter who. It can be your mailman, your grandpa, your neighbor, whatever. Interview them for about 15 minutes and write up the transcription of it. Hand that in. That will be your paper, okay? Well, great. I had a home game that night. This was for at Silverdome. So I went down, you know, a half hour earlier than uh, than normal and walked up to Joe Dumars and said, Joe, I got an assignment for school. Can we talk about your foundation for a bit? Yeah, pull up a chair. So we do this. I record it. I write it up. And whenever the class met next, I handed it in. In the next class, I got back a D. And <laughs> I was like, what? So I waited until the class was over and I went up and talked to the professor and I said, can you help me understand why, why I got a D on this? And she said, it was supposed to be an actual interview, not one that you fabricated. <laughs> and I said, well, if I can go out to my car and I can bring you in the cassette tape, because that's what we used back then, the old Morant tape deck, will you change my grade? And she, she thought I was 
blowing smoke at her. She's like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. So I'm like, all right, I'll be right back. So 15 minutes later, I come back. I hit play on the uh, recorder, and her eyes get very big. And she's like, I'm so sorry. And I said, do you have any idea what I do at night? And uh, she's like, no. So I told her, and she's like, what are you doing in this flat? I said, well, it's required. I have to take it. <laughs> exactly. So our relationship changed immensely after that. And I also know a number of uh, physical trainers and team trainers at the minor league hockey level and baseball level. And every one of them um, have these, they have these unique moments that are sort of career defining because listen, folks, I, I don't care if you're a trainer for single A baseball or minor league hockey, you're a professional. These athletes are putting their livelihoods in your hands. And one of the things that irritates those professionals and irritates me greatly is that it seems like the only time we hear about the world of the trainer is when a scandal takes place because somebody abused their access and their authority. And it, it's too bad. It's, it's, you know, it's sort of like when you only hear about pastors that have a scandal. I hate that. There are so many, there are so many faithful trainers and there are so many people that do it the right way that when you hear about the Larry Nassers and, and so-and-so through the list, it, 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 unfortunately it impugns a great profession, an important profession. And whether you have a Jersey with your name on it or whether you just blew out your ACL playing in your YMCA rec league, you are dependent upon qualified athletic trainers and doctors. And uh, I, for one, am, am, ever since my first ever terribly rolled ankle, I'm very thankful for those professionals. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, you know, just knowing a lot of my colleagues who are still in the field and myself haven't been there, I think a lot of us really just look to the athletes for that appreciation and that recognition and the, and the coaching staff and the management. And and I know that they all appreciate it, and they usually do give back quite a bit. We don't. Scores are endless. Yeah, yeah. Mostly thankless. But, yeah. Uh, they do have a passion. Yeah, and it, it, that's the kind of uh, personality it takes to really be able to to do that and do it for any type of longevity. So, but I have a question for you. I want to kind of shift gears a little bit here, being that you had have the media background. You know, I had mentioned earlier. I really look to the media in order to be able to get my information and use that to kind of help make predictions and give my professional kind of opinions and, you know, educate people based on what the injuries may be going, uh, the athletes may be dealing with or what's going on. A few weeks ago, um, there was a report by uh, Adam Schechter, who's often on the ESPN, and the report had nothing to do with injuries, but it had to do with uh, Aaron Rodgers not being happy in Green Bay, and he came out right before the NFL draft. I don't know if you were familiar with that at all, but... Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, he was asked on the Dan Patrick show where he got this story, and, you know, normally they'll say, oh, I got it from my sources or, you know, whoever, and he actually said, I didn't get it from a source. This is... I came out with this story, and he basically went off of, like, conjecture and just his, you know, opinion, and I'm wondering... Is that normal for guys like you, you know, even back in the day when you were uh, the beat reporter with the Pistons? I mean, I'm looking for this story to be like solid, rock solid. I'm looking for information that I know is coming from a legitimate source. 
I mean, I know a lot of it's anonymous. These guys don't name sources, which is fine, but you would hope that you're getting it from somebody with some type of medical knowledge in my case, or somebody with a direct access to the team. So I'm wondering what, what is your opinion about that? How do you, how do we go about knowing what to pick and choose to read, especially with all the social media stuff nowadays? How, how do you feel about that? That's super good question. Um, and part of the answer has changed over the years. It used to be that you needed sports media to give you the results of a competition. And you, you would maybe have one or two primary sources you would turn to, to hear the post game comment, to, to really get a feel for the game. You would actually pick up a newspaper the next morning to read the account of the game. And, and that's, so far in the past now that it's almost comical and some of your younger listeners will be like, what is that old man talking about? Well, folks, I'm telling you, one of my first jobs paid in, and I'm using air quotes here, broadcasting, was I worked for a sports phone company where you would pay 50 cents a minute to hear results. And I sat in, a, in an audio booth and recreated horse races from a fact that had been sent from the track because people who were gambling on horse racing wanted to hear how the race went. So they would call the night. So I'm just telling you, this is how it all has changed because <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, believe me, man, I had, I still don't understand horse racing, but I was <laughs> in this booth going, and down the stretch they come. Here come, come, come. Well, that's great. All, the, all of those things now are so comically archaic that it doesn't happen. So now we enter the world of opinion, replacing information. Um, there are, Schefter is a good example. He's a Michigan man. He's always, he's always at the front edge of breaking stories. And there's not a soul on the planet who believes that he came up with that information on his own. Everybody believes that he got it from Aaron Rodgers. Well, here's what's happened now. It's, it's hard to know where to turn for factual information. And it's not just in the world of sport. That's in the world of news as well. Right, media in general. Uh, just, yeah. Everything in the media is labeled as breaking news. Well, it can't all be breaking news. At some point, it's not breaking news, right? right? right. Um, so in the world of sports, the, the key for discernment of whether or not you're getting straight-up information really is connected to how well you know that source. Um, and, and over the years, guys like Jay Glazier, Adam Schefter, um, uh, Ian Rappaport, I don't know, I'm probably missing a couple. They, you know, they've, they've been pretty reliable. And every once in a while, you'll see something crop up from somebody you've never heard of before and it sounds super outlandish. That's because they just completely <laughs> pulled it out of their rear end because they're trying to get you to click and they're trying to get you to like what they're doing. Uh, but it's a very different world because information is now super easy to get and everybody is trying to sell you their opinion. And that's the, that's the kind of a dangerous game to play. I, I you know, everything is uh, so many companies I should say are hiding behind paywalls now, for instance. And so they'll say, click here to read the story. You'll click there and it'll want you to sign up and you'll just be like, well, I'm not doing that. I can read this in five other places for nothing. Uh, and the race is on to find ways to monetize information. And uh, that's kind of what the Schefter mindset is too. Well, we try to do it a little differently here. We try to just gather information 
educate people on what's what may be going on, not because we know, because we're not there and we're not behind the scenes and I don't have any, quote, sources, end quote. Go on what's reported out there. I try to conglomerate all that information into some some cohesion and then try to present it in an understandable fashion for those people that don't have the medical and the sports back medicine background that I have. So that's what we aim to do here. So, Bill, I don't really have much more for you. Shared some great stories with us. Um, you've provided amazing knowledge and insight based on your years of experience. And uh, we love having guests like you on the injured list because it mixes things up a little bit, but yet we're always still kind of able to somehow tie in the sports medicine and injury background to it. You've got a big media company that you work, that you own, that you run. Tell us a little bit more about that. I know you guys got a lot going on under that uh, company. And I know you are still very active, involved in sports podcasting. You've got a lot of different media things that you do. Uh, you mentioned the golf that you're going to be going, that you're going to be heading over to. Um, Give us a little bit of insight. You know, if Where do people go to find you? What types of services do you offer? Can you kind of shed some light for our listeners about what you got going on nowadays? Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I'll try not to bore everybody, so don't tune out just yet. You know, I know how the last five minutes of a yeah. podcast goes, so I'm going to try and give you some some decent info here. I'll, I'll keep it brief. I think they should. They may want to listen because they may get some good information and good resources here. So, <laughs> good. Uh, my my company, my website is called HobsonMedia.com. H-O-B-S-O-N Media.com, and our motto is "We Tell Your Story." And what I mean by that is. There are so many people, there are so many organizations that are super good at what they do, but they struggle to communicate it in an effective manner, and we help with that. Whether you're a nonprofit or a for-profit company or organization, and then the other side of my world is I do a lot of broadcasting. I I talk far too much, according to my family. Um, I've been told that we can cure insomnia better than anybody you know. But uh, I have a number of podcasts. I'm going to mention two of them to your audience right now. One of them is just pure fun. It's called Church Pew Sports, and that's where uh, pastors talk sports and life. We call it Barstool Without the Swearing. I think it's great. uh, I listened to a few episodes. I thought it was really entertaining. Some of these pastors have some really great insight. So much fun with that. And today we recorded an episode that will come out Saturday about um, the greatest moments in sports announcer history, which is really, really fun. But uh, if you're if you're into sports at all, and you must be because you're listening to this podcast, I do hope you'll check it out. It's everywhere podcasts are found. It's called Church Pew Sports. That's in the toy box side of life. And then in the more serious side of life, I am the, I'm not the host. Um, I'm the facilitator of conversation on a podcast called Marriage Talk. And Marriage Talk is where a licensed therapist and counselor takes questions from our audience and of all of the all of the podcasts that i do that's the most listened to one because people are really struggling in their relationships and if that describes you again it's just called marriage talk and you can go on the website to marriagetalk.org and search by topic for whatever you're dealing with and uh, I think you'll find something helpful in there. And I can say that because it's not my advice. It's that of a professional. So, uh, does, does the, com- they, does the yeah. topic of uh, sports uh, getting in the way of a healthy relationship ever get talked about on that one? 
there's all sorts of addictions out there. Um, as one of my friends said, we all have addictions. Some of them are legal. And um, they're legal, but they're not all helpful. So, yeah, if you're, if you're, if you're uh, too heavily distracted from caring for what's happening at home, uh, I guess that could probably fall under the heading of not healthy. So. For sure. Well, great, Bill. Thanks again. Um, I'm going to have a, a link to your website on my website so that if anybody wants to go through you know, my website to get to yours, they'll be able to do that. I want to yeah. thank you for taking the time to talk with us. I know you're on the road still traveling, and I, I do appreciate that. And on behalf of everybody uh, here, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, Bill. We appreciate the invite, man. It's been a great great conversation and hopefully we can do it again sometime. Definitely have to look forward to collaborating with you on some more projects maybe in the future. This is the Injured List Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Are you interested in being a guest on the show? Or do you know someone who would make a good guest? Want Brian Scott to be on your show? If so, Share the podcast with your friends or drop us a line and we will get back to you right away. Email us at theinjuredlist411 at gmail.com or visit our website at www.theinjuredlist.com.